So last week in the newsletter, I just randomly out of nowhere tagged Deborah Winger. Didn't tag Deborah Winger. I just said her. That's one of the things I'm obsessing over. And no link or anything like that. It just she's been in my head because I had a huge crush on her when I was younger. And today, it's Tuesday that we're recording this. So I open up my rewatchables episode and it's an officer and a gentleman. And they go on this whole diatribe about Deborah Winger today. And I'm like, did I do that in the universe? Did I make that happen? Did I do that? It was so freaking cool. And they loved all the same things that I love about her. Is that she has zero fucks to give. She's notoriously prickly in interviews. She's really, really smart. She's, I mean, she's beautiful. But she's an amazing actor. She's just like, and she was for for like a decade long period. She was it. I fully had no idea. I did not know this is what she looked like. Truly, this is like a, a surprise to me, her face. Let me see. I mean, it was just an image carousel. Yeah. I had, I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen anything with her. Terms of endearment. Never seen it. Officer I mean, and I, gentleman. I know of it. Nope. Never seen it. Legal Eagles. No. <laughs> I'm looking here. Um, she was an absolute smoke show when she was younger, but so just like she was just such a good actor, and I loved her. And it's just so weird. That is weird. Wow. Yeah. That they were talking about her that much today. This woman is completely. She's married to someone named Arliss. Did you ever watch the show Arliss? I did. <laughs> there you go. Is this okay? Yep. I couldn't tell what. Arliss, what they identified as. Oh. So I thought maybe she was gay. And I was like, that's cool. Oh, okay. I was like, right on. Yeah. But no, Arliss is a man. They, uh, this, this month on the rewatchables is, uh, wait, that movie made how much money? And so they're doing like kind of low budget films, lower budget films that made just an extraordinary amount of money. And they made Officer and Gentleman for something like 10 or $15 million, but it made like $190 million at the box office. It was like the third biggest movie that that year, the year of like E.T. It was an amazing year. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't even nominated for Best Picture because there were so many amazing movies. Like The Verdict came out that year, E.T., Gandhi, and like Gandhi walked away with everything. But it was like... Boom, right there, seminal part of my youth. And and for years, I had such a crush on Deborah Winger. So yeah, Deborah Winger back in the news. You know what else is in the news? Is our fund, friend, and hellraiser, period. So we have a couple new members to thank today. And uh, we just want to encourage all of you who can see their way clear in this holiday season. We know things get really tight. But to kind of help support the show, to help us grow, Anybody that can see their way clear to becoming a member or to leave us a review, maybe order our coffee, maybe order one of our coffee samplers for the holidays to give out as gifts. Make sure you're stacked for Thanksgiving. Make sure that you're stacked up for the holidays in your your home. Now that the weather's getting a little colder in our part of the world here, you might want some more coffee at home. Yeah, if you're hosting, you gotta you gotta give coffee out after dinner. You do, and dessert. make you gotta get a decaf unfucking in there too. Exactly, because not everybody wants to be fully caffeinated at night after a big fat meal, right? So, if you can do any of those things to help us out, we would greatly appreciate it. 
quick note, because we are moving the newsletter into the membership tiers when we announce the membership tiers that are going to be brand new. We're going to do that sometime in December. We have announced them. You remember that, right? Yeah. Okay. No, when we launch them. Okay. I'm sorry, not no, announced. When we launch the new membership tiers. Yes. Your memory. So those of you that are already receiving the newsletter but are not members, we're going to continue the newsletter to you through the end of the year. Uh, and then after that, it's going to be, become a membership perk because we're adding some new dimensions and some heft to it that cost us more money to get off the ground. And this, you know, this year was the year of getting YouTube off the ground and also launching the newsletter. So we've had to actually commit some more financial resources to doing all of this. And the next year is going to be uh, the real big effort next year is to increase the number of phone of friends and do some more outreach and to really make the show a little bit more interactive and dynamic. So between the newsletter, between the podcast, between show notes, between the phone of friends, between, you know, interspersing that with quickies and uh, topical creams, the newsletter, the YouTube, the, all the things. It's a lot. So any support you can give us, we'd be very grateful. On that note, we actually do have a couple of phone of friends coming up that I'm really excited about. So we're recording our first one on Friday that'll probably drop early in the week, just before Thanksgiving to give you something to talk about over the holidays and over the meals. I'm sure that'll lead to uh, some spirited dialogue there. And then it's going to be a, a, a <laughs> Thanksgiving for the books for a lot of a lot of people out there. Oh, boy, you ain't kidding. We're going to have families divided and yes. blown up. Yes. Maybe yes, that's a poor are. choice of words. Sorry. Yes, we are. Yes, my father-in-law, we're going to go to my wife's uh, and we're going to go to my in-laws for Thanksgiving. The and there's going to be a lot of us there, and which is going to be exciting. But my father-in-law, who is... 96 years old. But looks like 80. He's an amazing, an amazing person. Uh, said that we are going to carve out two hours where he can lecture me on everything from the 1930s forward because he's uh, dismayed at some of my takes of late. Oh. Yes. Okay. So I'm, I'm about to get an education and an undressing at the same time over, over the holidays. Mm, so a, have your thoughts with me. We have a quiet Thanksgiving on the books. So, Do you? Yeah. Just nuclear family. Okay. Yeah. All right. Is one-on-one coming down? Yeah. Okay, good. good. I was like, no, up. But then I was like, no, I don't know where states are. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at a map and I was like, Come oh, down. yeah, over. Massachusetts what? is north. <laughs> I truly I don't know where anything oh, is. Oh, 99. It's really bad. Yeah. Well, you know, I suffer from that as well. I spend a lot no, of time looking at maps, but I can't get anywhere. I'm the other way around. I can get wherever I want to go and I have good sense of direction. Just can't remember where things are. Yeah. Like I got my Delaware's sense of direction. like here and like Utah's like there and California's there. I, I can't. I guess I have to. Mm. Do you, you don't see the map yeah. that I see? I, well, sort of. You're backwards. I am. So California's here. Right. Utah's here. That's right. Delaware's like there. That's right. And that's kind of how I orient. Yeah. Well, when I think, when somebody says, well, it's east of here, I think of London. And when they say it's west of here, I have to think California. So it's really <laughs> been tripping me out thinking about the Middle East oh. and where everything is. And I and so I have a tab open, map of the Middle East, mm. and I have to keep referring back to it. And then all the old maps where nothing was where it is today. So I've got old maps up as well to see where things used to mm. be. And it's very confusing for my brain. When someone says something's east of here, I just picture the <laughs> Long Island Railroad. Yeah, which way you know, going. Montauk. I mean, that's I'm like, OK, yeah. west is towards the city. Right. East is towards out east. Hey, uh, <laughs> that's how I know directions. Speaking of that, by the way, um, Paul Krugman had a uh, has an op ed and I'll, I'll share this in the newsletter. He has an op ed in The Times uh, about the beauty and wonder of Queens. Oh, yeah. OK. 
So he's basically talking about all this nonsense over immigration and how, you know, Republicans want to keep the country as white as possible. And then talks about the bustling part of New York that you and I both love, uh, of Queens, that is a true melting pot. I mean, the meltiest melting pot in the country with the lowest amount of crime and a very high rate of employment. It's a mm. wonderful place. Yeah, it is. I feel like it has a spirit. Mm -hmm. like my neighborhood is very, they're very like into community development and like being a community. And yeah, it's very diverse. I feel safe. I mean, I, I never feel fully safe because I'm afraid of everything, but like, <laughs> you know, roughly speaking, I feel safe. Like, I, remember, I don't think anyone's going to come in my home. One of the, one of the like coolest, like hipster, but without the, the douchey part of the, the whole hipster profile, people that, that I used to work with. I remember when he moved from Brooklyn to Queens and it was like 15 years ago. And I was like, what are you doing? You're in Brooklyn. Like, that's where you belong. He's like, nah, man, Queens is where it's at. I'm like, okay. We got a lot of good spots. We yeah. got a lot of good little bards. Bards. Little bards. Another um, good friend of, of closer to you, but but I, I love him as well. He's yes. in Queens near you, right? Well, currently he's in Iceland. Iceland? Iceland. <laughs> Don't know why I said it like that. Good for him. Yeah. That's, that's he keeps posting neat. pictures of nature and I'm like, cool. <laughs> I just don't know what I'm looking at. It's like a bunch of steam. Is he going to hook up with Hrund? <laughs> I didn't pass the word on. Unknown? I didn't think about it. Okay. All right. So Thanksgiving schedule is going to be a little wonky. I actually don't know what the next couple of weeks is going to look like. I have a quickie that I think I'm going to leave everybody with for Thanksgiving in addition to the phone a friend. I am desperately trying to get through the script without rushing it and making it as perfect as I can for the final installment of the series on Palestine for this weekend. So in a perfect world, you'll have Palestine part three this weekend. And next week, you will have a phone a friend and a quickie for the holiday. And that should give me enough time to plan out. I have a couple of options for an episode after that. That should give me enough time to stay perfectly on track to release a, a drop. But there won't be anything on the weekend of Thanksgiving. That's my guess is because I'll, I'll try to get the quickie in just before the holiday. So you can sit with that through the weekend. Uh, and the other thing that I'm gonna, going to be doing is catching up on some videos. So I still have two socialism videos that have to be recorded. I will have another Palestine. So I have to record part two and hopefully part three simultaneous with the, the drop. Then I'm going to do something that I'm going to ask for everybody's support. We are going to, and I mentioned this before, we're going to go back and I, I, I kind of rejiggered the fuck Milton Friedman script because it's, we never put that on YouTube because it's a, it's a long ass piece as you, as you might remember. That's going to take me a while to get. I'm hoping to get that done prior to the end of the year. But when it comes out, I'm going to ask all the unfuckers' support to share that as widely as possible on YouTube because I think that that one might really get some attention. And it's going to, I, I hope, pave the way for us to get back into some really good hardcore socioeconomic activity in the beginning of the year, which is where I'm, I'm trying to get back into. So uh, if everybody would stop going to war, that would be really, really useful. You know who's going to come back? What? Barry. Yes. Oh, boy, Barry doesn't like us at all. He loves Milton Freeman. Yes, he does. I hope he's listening. I hope he secretly listens to every episode. I'm going to guess he doesn't. I don't know, man. It's possible. I, they're Stranger Things. So, Barry, if you're out there, what up, homie? Speaking of that, is Stranger Things coming back ever? 
Uh, is that a thing? I don't know. There was this thing called the strike, you know, that happened. Yeah. So I think everything, you know, it is coming back though. Emily in Paris. I just read an article about it. Oh my. And my apparently Alfie might not be that. coming back. I don't know. I, I don't know what you're talking about. That's one of the shows that Your we daughter separated watches for. It. My daughter and my wife both watched it. And it's loved so it. good. It's so bad. It's so good. I heard it's pretty bad. No, it's so good. In, in a great way. Yeah. yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm very excited for that. Great soundtrack. Oh yeah? Yeah. Okay. Just fun little What are you listening Parisian to these days? Bops. What am I listening to? Yeah. Jeez. Um I'm I'm in a big Motown okay. place right That's now. That's fun. Yeah. I've been listening to a lot of nineties and two thousands pop hmm. rock. Like Hooting the Blowfish. Nice. And I'm obsessed with the Counting Crows song Hanging Around. Our, our other friend would be so happy to hear you say that. I know. That. I mean, I've always, I've never had anything against Counting Crows. Very talented. Uh, yeah. He is. It's just shocking that that's like his favorite. Fan. Yeah. I know. He doesn't talk about it. I think he's embarrassed. <laughs> he but shouldn't. When I, when I got it out of him finally, I was like, wow, we're finally level. Yeah. It's weird. But yeah. So I've been listening to a lot of that. It's been scratching it into my brain that okay. I need. Yeah. I'm trying to think what else I've been listening to. You know what's happening, right? I'm getting old. You're getting older. And you're beginning to treat back into comfort, retreat into comfort music. Oh, I I watched two new movies this weekend, mm-hmm. and I was like, "This." Would you watch? Uh, Swiss. I'm uh, too new to me. Swiss Army Man. I did. You you got through the whole thing? Yes. I turned it off. <laughs> did you know the plot going in? Yeah. Okay. I I I, I enjoyed the conceit, and then I I liked a, a little bit of it, and then and both of those actors I think are really terrific. But I, at the I was just like, all right, I'm, Daniel's I'm done my with boy. This. He is my number one, my day one, my OG. Uh, I, I picked the right person because That's Paul he, Dano with him, right? Yeah. He's tremendous too. Yeah. And Daniel Radcliffe is just the most handsome, smartest, kindest, <laughs> nicest boy. Said no one ever. Ernest. Said lots of people. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people who feel that way about Darren. What did you think I said? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. And so I watched that. And Manchester Orchestra did the, or Robert and Andy from Manchester Orchestra did the score. So that was like another uh, reason I wanted That's to. That's banging. Yeah. Um, so I watched that one. And the other? Promising Young Woman. It was uh, Carrie Mulligan. Like the plot is, she sort of. I thought it was going to be like a, like a anti man movie where she basically like at the beginning pretends to be really drunk and has guys take her home, and then she scares them because she's like completely sober and. Bo Burnham's in that. Yeah, that's that's the reason I watched it because I'm also a big a bowhead. Produced by Margot Robbie. Yeah. Goodness. Yeah, and the director, the writer and director was the woman who played Midge in the Barbie movie for the one scene, hmm. which I was like, that's fun. Okay. Um, And both movies, I realized I don't want to think anymore and I was like off after watching them. I mean, they both ended kind of fucking weird, but I was like, wow, I hate thinking <laughs> because mm. I'm constantly thinking and I'm so tired. So I just want comfort things. So that's why I listen to the same things yeah. and I watch the same movies yeah. because I know it and I don't have to think. I, so I watched uh, Fincher's The Killer because David Fincher, of course, and I'm a basic white guy and Fight Club. So it's not good. Fight Club, is that a comfort movie for you? Fight Club, very much so. Really? It's very, it's a little, I don't know. It doesn't like feel comfortable. awful and dystopian. And, yeah, it just yeah. doesn't feel like comfy. Yeah, it's comfort for me. But uh, The Killer is not a good movie. Okay. Not it's just not. And it's stylish, but it's so I, I like I can't believe he took it on. I I don't know what he I don't know why he wasted his talent on that. Mm. And Michael Fassbender's unbelievable. I mean, he's I I find him riveting. 
but it just, it's so thin. If anybody else saw it, like, let me know what you thought. But I just, I was like, okay. I think there's a lot of movies like that these days. Everyone thinks it's going to be their art house. Yeah. And it just doesn't happen. Like, I enjoyed Bullet Train more than that. Like, you know. Wait, I was, I don't know what that is. I was thinking of Snowpiercer. What's Bullet Train? It's the same. Okay. It's the same movie. I couldn't get through Snowpiercer. Just funnier. Just funnier. No, Snow, Snowpiercer's weird, but people, that's cult. It's huge. Well, it's a people TV show now. I love that movie. I think it's a TV show. Is it? I think so. Okay. Not with the same cast. Do unfuckers love that movie? Because it's it's a like a huge cult hit. And I, and I watched it and I was like, okay. But I couldn't figure out why. No, I don't know. Mm. I'm trying to think if I've seen anything else. No, this was like watching two movies for me was like big. It was a big deal. Two new movies, new to me. New to you. They're both old. Like one of them, one of them was twenty twenty. The other one was like twenty fifteen. Here's like some brand stuff. New. Here's some stuff that's new to everybody. It's new information because it's part of headlines. As we get through this uh, episode of show notes, headlines. Uh, again, I'm doing a little bit differently. We're just going to talk about what's in the news and offer some commentary. And then as the week goes on and we prepare the newsletter, we will uh, either add new stuff or we'll build on the stuff that we talked about here. But the first headline to talk about is that inflation is cooling down to an average, I think, of uh, I think it brings our average for 2023 down to about 4%. But they said it got down to like 3.2% or something like that in October, which is a really good sign, but wasn't enough to ward off uh, Jerome Powell, who uh, insists that uh, more hikes may come in 2024 as he is determined to slow the economy uh, to the greatest extent possible, uh, because fuck him. There might be, by the time you listen to this, a government shutdown uh, is once again imminent. The proposal from the Republicans and uh, Big Johnson, oh, I should actually call him Little Johnson. I don't even know why I, why I called him Big Johnson in the newsletter, but Mike Little Johnson is... Um, First of all, how fucking weird is this guy getting? Did you have you did you see any of the news about him this week? Maybe that's what I'll write about in the newsletter. Uh, he you doesn't told me. have a fucking bank account. What? Is he a libertarian? No, because his church probably maintains the bank account. So he went on Fox. Well, isn't that tax evasion? Yes. Yeah. Totally. Totally. So I don't think his wife technically is employed because she owns that conversion therapy practice or whatever it is. So self-employed, they have a mortgage, they're real people in the world. He is a person who has to go through financial disclosures and it's in his financial disclosures where it came up that he doesn't even have a fucking bank account. So he was asked on Fox, hey, can we talk about this whole, you don't have a bank account thing? And he's like, yeah, you know, Hard scrabble, you know, grew up, uh, you know, with uh, my back against the wall and work hard like everybody else. I didn't grow up rich uh, and, uh, you know, we've had to fight for everything we have, but, uh, you know, kind of the good Lord provides kind of thing. And they're like, cool. But also, how do you or operate your life if you don't have a bank account? How do you get paid? And he's like, yeah, I mean, these are these are things that you that you that you work through. But, uh, you know, done the financial disclosures. It, it is what it is. But, you know, you know, my job is like um, I, I live like most Americans live, you know, is we, we have to be responsible to our blah, blah, blah. And, and it was just he just completely obfuscated. And of course, there was no follow up. So what his office sent out after the fact, because people kept pressuring him on it was, no, I don't have an interest bearing checking account and therefore not I'm, I'm not required to disclose what any of my accounts are. So this is the one person in America doesn't have a fucking interest-bearing checking account, I guess, uh, that is in government for many years and 
purportedly is kind of successful and what have you. So people are speculating that he's probably in one of those, again, covenant relationships where the church holds on to money and he raises money for the church and he gets paid in different is ways. Is he Mormon? That's very Mormon. It's very Mormon. No, it's he's extremely evangelical. And I, I've uh, never heard of like that's usually I mean, I know about like, you know, you should, you're supposed to give 10 percent of your salary to your that's church. The Catholic tithe. Yeah. Right? But I didn't know that. Uh, I think that's a Catholic thing. Pastor Tim, is the tithes strictly a Catholic thing or is that encouraged in other I think uh, Christian all, disciplines? Isn't it just isn't tithe like a non-denominational word? Like, I thought tithe was specific to Catholics, but hmm. Pastor Tim will tell us. He'll uh, let us yeah. Know. I don't I That's very strange. Very strange, right? Does anyway. He, is he like the, does he run his own church? Does he have like a church set up? Unknown. And then like his house is like an He's asset? the pastorage. I don't know. Don't know. I'm going to do that. We should start a church. Well, if I start a personal church. Yeah. Then I don't have to pay tax. I want to tax evade. But am yes. I, is that allowed? But we should welcome we should be able to hold on to the assets of all the unfuckers as well, right? Isn't that how cults really work? At this, at this point, I'm not talking about cults. I'm just I'm sorry, trying to think you, about- You want a real church. I just don't want to pay my taxes. Oh, okay. That's okay. what I'm thinking about. Well, you don't have to. Yeah, I've heard that. I don't know if it's going to work out well. <laughs> I'm going to be like- But uh, they cut, they're going to cut funding to the IRS, so no one's going to know. Who's the guy who didn't pay his taxes? There's a lot Blade, of them. Blade. Oh, Wesley Snipes? Yeah. Didn't he not pay his taxes? Yeah, but he's so high profile. Nobody even knows who you are. Not yet. Not yet. If you have your way. Not till the government comes running. You're going to. Comes after you. Unveil me. Someday. I don't want to. I know. So uh, Mike Little Johnson uh, has a plan to basically run the equivalent of a rolling blackout in government where he's just going to like little pieces will shut down here and there and they'll fund things that are important to them, but maybe not important to like real, real normal people in the in the world that work for the federal government or rely on being paid by the federal government as subcontractors or what have you. You know, health and human services be damned. We got to keep the uh, got to keep the military funded and all that kind of stuff. So even the Republicans think that this is stupid, so it's probably not going to go anywhere by the time you you hear this or by the time we get into Thanksgiving. And Biden hasn't Biden hasn't signaled whether he's going to veto it or not, because why would he? It's it's so much easier to let the Republicans keep shooting themselves in the foot rather than signal like I'm going to veto this because that might give the, a lot of the Republicans the like, no, you can't. the cover to pass it and then send it to him so that Biden can look like the guy that didn't fund Israel. And and I mean, it's just this is or, might or be a Ukraine, good look for him. right? That could be a good look for him finally, right? So who knows? It, we're once again in uncharted territory because the Republicans cannot get along. It is so bizarre to watch this happen. Because they're all nuts in their own way. They're acting like Democrats. They're like little monkeys. They are. And they're just like... And they're <laughs> Matt Gates ripping the hood off your car, <laughs> you know, shitting on your windshield and yeah. I making like when things nuts. People go to those safaris that they probably shouldn't be at because they're probably not good to the animals. And like the giraffe comes in their window and it's like, you know, or like an alpaca spits at them. I love that. <laughs> That's what's happening. <laughs> that is what's happening. Trump... And another headline continues to insist that he's running against Obama. What? And this time he's got Victor Orban to back him up on Orville that. Orville Redenbacher? Yeah, Orville Redenbacher. Not Earl Blumenauer. Hmm. Same person, by the way. Oh. Uh, yeah, he's got Victor Orban to back him up on that uh, because he keeps he keeps saying in his speeches that 
He's running against Obama. And uh So is he okay? What? No. Like I mean meant no, to, like he's deranged. I know well, I know he's deranged, but this seems like a new level for even him. Yeah. Yeah. That's really weird. I wish he was I mean, I don't, but I think Obama could defeat him. I think bet- Oh yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. <laughs> I don't know anymore. So. I don't know anymore either. You're right. No, but I I mean between he and Biden, they have half a memory at this point. It's wild what's Let's, going why on. Why isn't Dr. Jill run? Who? Biden's wife. Oh, doctor, I thought you meant the other Dr. Jill who is running. No, no, no. Okay. Um yeah, I mean, why not? There should be some sort of like transference. Like you we're know married. Be amazing? I get to be president. Dr. Jill runs, Michelle Obama's the VP. Or ladies, vice versa, right? Am I right? Am ladies I right? night. What if the White House had a ladies night and the the ladies got to be president? What if? What if? But I guess what, what what's Kamala's husband's name? Alan? Did I make that up? It's his name. I don't even Dan? know. Dan? I don't know. I don't know. Something. I know he's Jewish. Yeah. Well, I so which I like. We'll call him Alan. Um, one of the two. Um, shout out to my uncle Alan. <laughs> um, uh, what I don't if it's ladies night, I don't know what he does. Because this is uncharted territory. Usually yeah. we don't have a mixed first persons. Yeah. So I guess we would just have to call it person's night. Person's night. That's more inclusive anyway. So he, Alan or Dan gets to be involved. What the fuck is his name? Mm. Josh? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we you should bet. know this. Oh, I definitely should. Douglas. Doug. I think I was pretty close. I'm Doug. Alan, Josh. I'm Doug. What was the other one I said? Dan. Dan. That was close. Douglas, Dan. Same thing. Uh, did you see the uh, screenshot that I posted uh, no, of Tim Scott? Saw that in your thing. I don't know what you're talking about. So. Where did you post it? Okay. I posted it on the Facebook. On, on I forgot to Facebook? put it in the group. I, I just put it on our Facebook. <gasps> don't post things without my permission. Sorry. I'm <laughs> just kidding. So, okay. You, so you remember if a couple show notes ago, you and I were talking about that person that I know very, very well. Yes. You still forgot to tell me who it is. That puts together those packages. So for anybody that didn't hear that show notes, I know somebody really well who during the 2016 election uh, had a had a gig where they would young people would come in and read two versions of stories, one from the right and one from the left set to the same B-roll. And they would sell those packages, they called them, to various news outlets, typically newspapers and or radio stations that had websites but don't have news divisions to pull from and don't have the rights to do things for TV. So what this group did is they got a master license to basically pull down either Reuters or AP or one of the, uh, or what is it? Shit, I can't remember the other syndicated service. Um, Anyway, so these syndicated television services that basically just have like C-SPAN type B-roll of everything that happens in the country. And then you have to put your, your, your commentary over it. So they'd sell one to the left, one to the right, and there you go. And that's how they made their money. So Sinclair Broadcasting, who we've also spoken about in the past, is a horrible, horrible organization that I think sold all their radio stations, but they own 185 television stations across the country. They're one of the biggest outlets for local news. And on their websites, they so they'll run stuff on their TV shows, but they'll also run stuff on their websites that looks like it's coming from the local affiliate. And one of the things that they ran that happened to come into my feed for some unknown fucking reason was Tim Scott suspending his presidential campaign. But the B-roll they were using was Eric Adams, the mayor of New York City, because, of course, all black people look exactly the same. What was nuts about it? (laughs) Wait, 
I have to go look it up. Look, we should separately be making shitty videos by Eric Adams, for sure. Of course. He deserves that, but, you know, at least make the, the content. The rats don't run this city. We do. I have to go back and, and see if I can find it. Um, but I, I shared it uh, in the Facebook, as I said. Yes, I just looked. Did you? Is it still there? Your posts? Yeah. Yeah. Is the video still linkable? This video has been removed by the uploader. <laughs> so... It got thousands and thousands of views because obviously that's why it was probably in my feed is that it's people were commenting on it left and right and and, you know, basically trolling Sinclair Broadcasting for, you know, for doing that. Hey, um, that's actually like a huge engagement strategy. People like Instagram people, <laughs> they will like put a typo in their caption on the video or they'll put something weird like if they're filming like, you know, Amazon affiliate, they'll put like. Uh, laundry detergent in the fridge so people will come and be like anyone else see that laundry detergent in the fridge and they make mistakes or like do weird things on purpose because people comment on them and it boosts engagement see i only do it because it makes you mad when you have to proofread me yeah that's different <laughs> if you're you know if we could we can start doing it maybe i'll start commenting on your shit and look publicly shaming you but um just be like are you fucking kidding me that's the wrong there uh but yeah so I, maybe they did it on purpose hmm that's generous. That I know generous. it is generous, yeah. but guess what happened? A zillion people saw it. Yep. When people's feeds, people there are probably people who it reached target target audience who don't care which black person it is, regardless. Well, it's funny. So I went all the way down to the bottom, and people were like, "Good riddance," and they were making like genuine comments, thinking that was Tim Scott. Which I mean, if and you're then not somebody a New Yorker, was like, "Are you kidding me right now? That's not even him." And then and then everybody let loose. I don't know what Tim Scott looks like. If I didn't know what Eric Adams looks like, I wouldn't know anything. I, I would just think it was this person. Right. Which is why I'm always terrified of like when we post <laughs> shit and I'm like, if, if I'm doing art that has a, a subject in it, I uh -huh. do like extreme vetting, like yes. comparing old pictures, being like, is this the right nose? Like, <laughs> I never want to make that mistake with anybody. So, I mean, obviously this was flippant, but other people, people just wouldn't know. Yeah. How would they? It just shows you, though, how lazy these quote unquote packages are and how much disinformation is just hurtling through this cyber universe. Because not only I'm sure the not only are the young people being the pundits, I'm sure they're editing it, too. Oh, not yeah. giving a fucking shit. Absolutely. Not that young people aren't capable of doing a good job, but like if it was a job, I didn't no, care about. No, let's shit on young people. I mean, we spend enough time <laughs> shitting on That's boomers true. and everybody, you know, is mad at us Everyone is capable of mediocrity. Just just remember the, the best generation, truly the greatest generation mm. is Gen X. All right? That's all anybody needs to know. Yeah, often, often called the greatest generation. Yeah, just by us. All right, let's get into emails. Why don't you kick us off? Uh, we have a pronunciation correction here in a lovely way. Yeah, so Sultan, yes. that's what I've been calling them. Sultan. Said that Sultan, so yeah. like, 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 like the Sultan, like from Aladdin. So Sultan said, nope, Sultan, did I do it? Okay. Yep. Sultan said, I'm so stoked you were doing this series. Again, you didn't organize this in order. What do you mean? Because <laughs> we have a Palestine feedback. And oh, we have yeah. Two. You, you kill me, man. All um, right. I'm so stoked you're doing this series. I have so many thoughts and questions and can't wait for the next episode. The intro and first two have been amazingly informative and heartfelt. Thank you for all you do. I appreciate that feedback. So far, the feedback's been really good. We'll see what happens with the tie up here with the with the round off with part three, because uh, that's where we get into a little bit of woulda, coulda, shoulda and what might happen next. I don't, think, song. I don't think that the uh, I don't think anybody's going to like the conclusion, but 
what I am going to try to do. So, I mean, I'm basically going to come back to the same point that I started with, which is that this is this is the fault of imperialism and it did not have to go this way. But now that we're here, I don't think anybody's going to like the uh, the logical conclusion that I'm going to draw. But we shall see. But thank you for the support and thank you for everybody that's uh, tuning in and letting me know that you're learning something. So this has been an incredible learning journey for me that I started at the beginning of the summer and then really had to ramp up. So, um, you know, and for all of the mispronunciations, I apologize. But um, I think you're doing a pretty good job. Doing doing my best. I mean, you can't like if you don't know, you you don't know. And if there's no video online, what are you going to do? Yeah, that's true. You know, and sometimes I go, you know, what's like not accurate is all of those YouTube how to pronounce videos. Mm-hmm. Fuck them. They've, they've misled me so many times. Have you ever seen the ones that are fake? They're like... It's I like think a, those are the ones I'm sourcing. <laughs> Hold on. Let me see if I can find one. It's like the whole oh, the whole internet's trolling me when I try to pronounce something. And this one is a... Fake pronunciation guide videos are hilarious. This one says rainbow. How to pronounce rainbow. Roy Ranibinow. Behold. The beautiful Roy Ranibinow. I've never seen that one specifically, but and sometimes they, they they make them look exactly the same, just like you know a black screen with yep. white letters. Yeah. So. Well, I think I'm I think I'm probably shooting myself in the foot there. So, next up, and we are going to bounce around because I put uh, the show notes together today. So, um, you know, when things are fucked up and out of order, that it's got the max touch it's on. Not it. That is fucked up. I don't want to shame you for your style. No, it's I'm shamed. It's fine. Here I am, shamed. It just makes me seem like a bitter hater. Uh, Will, hold for it, Watkins said, I appreciate your long-form conversation with the great and talented Manny Faces. It was enlightening to hear Manny's take on hip-hop culture. I hope other listeners will explore hip-hop's cultural impacts and also begin to see its positive contributions. I, for one, subbed to HHCSA, Hip Hop Can Save America, and also Bad Faith after hearing you talk together. Also, appreciate your shout out to YouTube influencer FD Signifier. He gives some of the best insider takes on modern black culture, intellectualism, community, manosphere, and leftist thinking from a black American point of view that I've seen out here. Glad you're plugged into him and his really important work. Uh, Here, here, another shout out to FD Signifier. If you're not following uh, him on YouTube, then uh, get on it. And uh, Manny, I'll let you, uh, you know, take over the mic and uh, respond to Will. Thank you, Will Watkins and everybody else that uh, tuned in and turned up with us for that uh, special conversation. Thanks again, Max, for giving me the the bandwidth on our platform to shine a little light on what I do. Uh, Will, I also hope that other people, I mean, obviously, it's a lot of what I do is trying to get people to (laughs) realize uh, all the amazing things that this music and culture can provide uh, to help uplift humanity and improve society. So thanks for subscribing. Once again, HipHopCanSaveAmerica.com has all the links to subscribe to the podcast. I'm also on YouTube. So if you go to HipHopCanSaveAmerica.com slash watch, it'll forward you to my YouTube page. Anyone want to, you know, you don't have to watch, but, you know, I wouldn't mind the subscribes. You know, you can do that. But anyway, and I also have a Substack newsletter, ManyFaces.Substack.com, which delves into these ideas that hip hop can help save America and probably the world in a lot of different ways that most people don't normally think of. So thanks everyone who paid attention. As I said before, I'm always available to discuss or to uh, bring some enlightenment to your educational institution, uh, your nonprofit, your community organization, your business, uh, or yourself. 
as to how we can harness this power authentically and with love and compassion to help equal the playing field uh, for so many people and, uh, you know, benefit everyone kind of across the board. So, yeah, thanks, y'all. Now, next up, we have Pastor Tim. This is also for Manny. Actually, I was going to ask Manny via UNFTR if he saw any future in socially progressive movements coalescing around some kind of modern anthem. I thought back to Gil S.H. and Arlo and Billy Bragg, Flava Flav, in a more modern context. and began to wonder if we had that same cross-community reach for unifying voice to arise anymore. With the possible exception of Tom Morello, I cannot even think of someone who has made a concerted effort to speak the dissatisfaction of the people into the public square. So I know that Manny has a great answer to this, so I am going to shut up and let him go. Yeah. Hey, Pastor Tim. Thanks for that question. So uh, yes and no. So we did see, uh, for instance, Kendrick Lamar's song, All Right, sort of become an anthem for the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, the post-George Floyd murder protests and marches and movement. But if God got us, then we go be all right. Thousands of activists have flooded the Washington Mall in Washington, D.C. today on the 20th anniversary of the Million Man March. Participants are marching, delivering and listening to speeches, and chanting as a means of protesting racial inequality and police brutality. The theme of this year's gathering is justice or else, and marchers have been using the chorus of Kendrick Lamar's All Right as a rallying cry to promote the urgency of their cause. The Hilltop tweeted a video of the powerful scene. Uh, that song really became as sort of, uh, you know, as close as a modern day anthem, civil rights anthem as as we had. Uh, but I also, I go against historical consensus that protest music to me, uh, at least in this landscape, isn't really as potent a tool as it once was for a variety of reasons. It's a longer conversation. I don't think that protest music has the same effect on the population. Uh, I think that when it comes to hip-hop specifically, because it does speak to such a wide swath of people from multi-generations and multiple demographics, that it's much more about sort of the ethos of hip-hop. So what I rather see is not so much a superstar or Jay-Z or or whatever uh, make a protest anthem in response to some horrific injustice. I'd much rather see a focus, attention, funding, uh, amplification, signal boosting of hip hop oriented grassroots movements on the ground in perhaps a city that this injustice occurred or across uh, the country. We saw some of that after George Floyd. Uh, I know a lot of individuals who are hip hop minded. They know how to tap into the the culture and the ethos and communicate with young people and get them motivated and get them activated on a grassroots community level. And I think that the more we do that from a hip hop mindset is actually way more powerful than any one, two, three, seven uh, protest songs that might be released and, and be popular for a flash of time. And then with our quick attention spans, you know, disappear. Cause we've had those we've had all right by Kendrick Lamar. We've had J Cole's, uh, MTV uh, VMA performance. Uh, we've had J. Cole's feature with Lil Durk recently uh, that have all touched on these topics, uh, but we don't see them 
able to break through and have the effect that some of our you know four persons in the music business have been able to have. And I think that's just because the entire landscape of the entertainment industry, how we consume information is all different now. It's totally different and the old rules don't apply. Uh, so I don't care that we don't have protest music because I know we have protest organizations and I know that those organizations have that hip hop ethos of get in where you fit in, remix, come in through the back door, make things happen when all the powers that be are pushing against you. That's one thing that, that hip hop really excels at. So when it comes to social change, I'm not so much concerned about who does music. I'm concerned about who does this work. So I hope that helps. Protest songs are great. They help. Uh, they do exist. I'm not, I'm not saying they don't exist. They actually do exist. I don't think that the corporate powers that be that run radio stations and record labels are all too inclined to push them to the forefront. And there's a lot to distract us from that type of messaging. So... It's nice to have them. It's great when they break through and, and, and make a difference, but they're certainly not uh, the end-all be-all, and I would say are certainly not the most powerful tool in our hip-hop-affiliated toolbox. Uh, so I like to look for the folks who are uh, putting in the work, boots on the ground, and coming from an, a hip-hop mindset uh, to do so, I think is uh, extremely effective and needs to be amplified. Thank you for that, Manny. All right, now we're back with John from Minnesota. I'm a new listener. John's got a really great email. Bear with me here. It's a little, uh, actually, I cut this down, but it's a couple paragraphs, but it's worth hearing. I come from a very conservative background, believing that God is the invisible hand, FMF, that life begins at conception, individual responsibility, family, family values, etc. I've gone through a bit of a journey, starting very conservative, drifting moderate, then center left, then progressive, and now borderline leftist over the span of 25 years. John, I'm with you. This journey has given me an interesting viewpoint when coupled with where I live. I'm surrounded by MAGAs. My parents have drifted ultra-MAGA. I intersect constantly with them. Back to what I say when talking to people. I rail against corporations and how the working class are constantly oppressed. Almost 100% of MAGAs completely agree with this. I then start preaching the gospel of MMT. Max, as you stated, the neoliberal order is ending. Even the true believers of neoliberalism eventually agree with me that it is killing itself. Sometimes it takes a few beers to get there. Economics is their weak place. I've had to acquire the knowledge of a master's degree in macroeconomics to do so, however, so one of my suggestions is to have one of the founders of MMT on L. Randall Ray, Stephanie Kelton, Bill Mitchell, or Warren Mosler are all great choices. Why is MMT so powerful? Because it shows using empirical evidence how our monetary system works and that neoliberalism is a fraud at best. John from Minnesota, so happy to have you on the unfucking train. Appreciate that. I am going to endeavor to get Stephanie Kelton. That's my big goal for uh, the new year. On a phone, a friend. She is in New York, so she is, I, I believe, eminently gettable. I believe she's actually out on Long Island at Stony Brook University, if I'm not mistaken. I believe that's where she hangs her hat. Why don't we take uh, the studio to her? We could do that. Sadly, she will not be the economic advisor on Bernie's campaign because Bernie's not running. But uh, that's what she was before. Anyway. I don't think I knew that. Thank you so much, uh, John from MN. Great to have you here. So now we heard from Chris A., who said, in your intro to Palestine series, you made a thought-provoking, to me at least, statement about not using genocide to refer to the current situation in Gaza while being willing to use the term ethnic cleansing. 
I believe you were interpreting that the Israeli government's motives were more toward moving or forcing the population, or what is left of it, after the bombing is finished out of Gaza, and presumably never to return rather than exterminating the entire population in place. This distinction made sense to me as a way of being careful about the precise use of language, and I appreciated your reasoning, but I've since looked up the definitions of both terms genocide and ethnic cleansing. The former, genocide, is clearly defined by the United Nations, while the latter, ethnic cleansing, has no legal definition under international criminal law, according to Wikipedia, which does offer the definitions of several individuals. Looking at the narrow definition of genocide, according to the UN Convention on Genocide, it seems that the actions and statements of the government of Israel do, in fact, meet both the intent and four of the five physical acts that are listed. As your stated intention is to present only the facts relating to the history and current situation, it seems that you can safely call the Israeli government guilty of genocide, rather than just sticking with the less inflammatory ethnic cleansing. Yeah, I mean... I think the reported number dead in Gaza now is about 11,000. And um, that number will probably increase because they haven't been able to sift through the rubble of a lot of the buildings. And of course, the uh, the conflict is far from over. Uh, a genocide, you know, okay, so I understand what you're saying under the strict interpretations of international law. I've been pretty open, I think, to this point about the fact that the policy of removal and settler colonial behavior of the Zionist movement and the land Zionism movement, not the labor Zionism movement, uh, has amounted to ethnic cleansing because that was the stated goal of all of the Zionists that we know uh, as, as part of Israel's history. So starting with Herzl's words, we saw it in Weissman's words. Uh, we can see it as we'll in the next series, uh, the next installment of the series, you'll see it in Ben Gurion's words. And then certainly more forcefully when we get into the 70s with the Likud party coming to power. So the ethnic cleansing aspect of it, I mean, all, all of these words are so highly charged because Ethnic cleansing is is technically what happened, genocide and ethnic cleansing of native peoples in North America and, and other parts of the world. We've seen this. A genocide such as happened with the Khmer Rouge, as an example, was a just a just a pure genocide. I think that the Armenian genocide qualifies. I mean, what Stalin did with the gulags and and the, the genocide of dissenters in, within Russia, as we discovered later, as the Soviet Union collapsed. So I, I maybe it's me. Maybe it's just because I associate genocide as more of a quantitative figure than anything else, like a just a mass mauling and murder and indiscriminate murder of, of people. I can certainly understand with more than 4000 children dead in Gaza, why people are willing to begin to call it a genocide. I won't quibble with the term myself. I'm probably going to stop short of using it because I don't think it's helpful in the context that I'm laying out this series. But I'm also not going to tell you that I think technically you're you're incorrect or that this is not reaching the level by the strictest interpretations of it. It's just to me personally, and I know language matters. We talk about it all the time. It's just that to me personally, Genocide carries with it a much greater quantitative meaning, if I think that makes it's sense. Because it's happening actively, 
and you can't look at it from a historical lens and analyze it. So once it's over, if it ever will be, when you can, when you have all of the data of all of the intent and all of the crimes and everything, like then I think that's where, I, I don't know, it seems like maybe where it's getting hung up. Yeah, it's also tricky too, because as we're gonna cover in this next part, there's there's been some mass atrocities committed by the Arab population against Jews, and then there's been mass atrocities committed by the Jewish population in this region against Arab uh, residents in this region. And we don't refer to those as genocide because they're acts of, they kind of come in under the, the umbrella of conflict or war. And we have another listener who actually wrote in about, you know, terming this war as well. It's the asymmetrical nature of the civilian population. Like, I think Hamas for a lot of people is is sort of this dark nebulous force that blends with the local civilians. You can't see them necessarily. We know that there are militants, but they don't show up on a traditional battlefield with traditional weaponry and they're it's a it's a guerrilla fighting organization the militant wing of a political party that that isn't as easily identifiable in the in the traditional way that we would identify a quote you know military unit so when people are looking at what's ha- happening and unfolding in Gaza of course it's asymmetrical because we're bringing the weight of conventional war from Israel's perspective and you know, just carpet bombing, and now going in with conventional ground troops to start clearing full neighborhoods, and there's indiscriminate killing. I don't think anybody's gonna is gonna argue with that. I mean, people are arguing with that. They're saying that you can't tell them apart, and it's it's their fault for building tunnels under hospitals and what have you. And all these accounts are are being thrown up. As ninety nine says, like this is all happening right now, and there's misinformation, disinformation, and it's very very difficult to parse that among what's really happening. I think if we were to zoom out, though, and drop this conflict into any other part of the world where an organized force went in and the result after a a couple of weeks was 4,500 dead children, people would be using the the term genocide pretty loosely. I think that that's a fair and accurate statement to make. Um, But this is this is the most complicated and highly emotionally charged situation on the planet. And um, and so. I'm trying not to use language that will get in the way of the narrative and and the context. And I don't know if I'm doing it right, Chris. I'll be honest, I, I really don't know. But maybe with some time and the benefit of hindsight, you know, I have the good fortune of not being part of this and not being in that part of the world and, um, you know, and can sit here in my comfortable in my armchair and talk about these things. But I know that there are people that will absolutely take issue with using the word genocide. And there are people that are absolutely adamant that it is used because it is the only way to help people wrap their heads around what's happening to that part of the world. So it's tricky. Um, that's um, So I'm punting. I'm, I'm clear about that, Chris. I'm definitely punting on that because I don't know what's right. I just want to get through the narrative so that I can explain how this got there. And then maybe we can have some discussions after the fact. Uh, Kellum T said, Howdy, Max, in 99. And Manny, I just want to send a quick note to say, first of all, Palestine Part 1 was great. And I look forward to diving into Part 2. I'm also glad I discovered your podcast about a year ago. Well, Kellum, we're glad you found it, too. Second, I was happy to hear the discussion of archaeology in Palestine during show notes prompted by a message from a listener. You occasionally reference archaeology on the podcast. As an assistant professor of anthropology, I appreciate that you recognize the importance of the discipline in historical debate. 
Archaeology has been deployed in the interests of both the powerful and the disenfranchised. For example, cultural historical archaeology was nearly paradigmatic in the early 20th century archaeology. The relatively innocuous idea that archaeologists should be interested in knowing who was where and when became a tool of nationalism. Archaeologists such as Gustav Cusina argued that identifiable patterns in ancient material culture like styles of pottery and houses were tightly linked to modern national identities. Following Cusina's lead, many German archaeologists in the 1920s and 30s began to use archaeological evidence to assert the prior presence of ethnically Germanic peoples in places such as Poland and Czechoslovakia, providing justification on historical and racial grounds for the annexation of those territories and, in some cases, the extermination of their non-Germanic residents. The archaeology of Central Europe was used and abused by Nazis in many other ways during that period. Let's just say that modern archaeologists' antipathy to Nazis runs deeper than Indiana Jones. Archaeology has been used to both support and critique the claims of Khazarian origins of Ashkenazi Jews. I'm not well versed in that particular topic, but a theory that undermines Jewish identity by arguing for a relatively recent Turkish origin for most European Jews is highly suspicious and the very conspiratorial tones in which the myth of the Khazarians is debated on Facebook are definitely anti-Semitic. The almost certainly bogus Khazarian stories have been deployed in opposition to the Ashkenazi connection to Palestine, and hence in opposition to a Jewish state. While the policies of the Israeli nation-state deserve commentary and critique, undermining the Israeli state by using archaeology to argue against Jewishness of the Jews is, in my opinion, an anti-Semitic non-starter. As your listener noted, archaeology is a powerful part of creating a national narrative, and I'm surprised that the Khazarian legends have not really reared their head in the current crisis of political legitimacy. What a great fucking note this is. Once again, confirming the fact that we have the smartest listeners. Fight me. So, Kellum, you brought out some really good points here, especially about how the Germans were able to abuse these findings and use it to justify their their homicidal claims. I think the reason that I included in in the introduction to the episode that I wasn't going to uh, squabble over, you know, what where pig bones were, who lived where, nor was I going to address the text. The ancient text was precisely the reason that you're bringing up. So I I went down a rabbit hole. This was more in the summer. I went down a rabbit hole of, of the claims of archaeologists, and it was very difficult for me to parse kind of who's telling the truth here because you saw how some how the same information was used uh, to either you know prop up or debunk claims on others on on each side of this story in Palestine even though he's the the stars fallen a little bit I still quote Chomsky quite often and I saw a video of him it was actually a pretty recent video of him speaking about the nonsensical nature of trying to determine who was where and when with respect to the current fight and how it takes away from it. And he said, uh, you know, of course, Chomsky, as, as a Jew, was saying, the Jewish people are the Jewish people. They're whatever they say they are, and they're there now, and that's the reality and, and the facts that have to be dealt with. We can talk about nationalism. We can talk about Zionism. We can talk about the nature of oppression and the asymmetrical force of a big state against a little state, and nowhere in that does that contemplate somebody's Jewishness or their Arab uh, ethnicity. But what it contemplates is the structures of power. And that tracks pretty much with what Chomsky said his entire life and how he can see that cleanly without being, without having the, the veil of his Jewishness kind of color his 
his take on that. And I think that, that that that's what you're pointing out here, and that is absolutely the right take on this. Who cares who walked on a piece of sand when 2,000 fucking years ago? I know it's the roots of this, and it can't be denied. So we can't just, just we can't act like that doesn't matter because these claims are being used for for claims on territory and and natural rights. So the right of return and the law of return, the right of return on the Palestinian side and the law of return on the on the Zionist side, competing for exactly the same notion based on these historical claims. And it makes it, it gets it all very muddy. So um, anyway, I appreciate you, you teasing this out and, uh, and sort of giving life to the fact that, uh, and to the, to the rationale behind me leaving it out. But uh, I certainly won't, you know, I, I'm not going to dismiss the fact that these claims are, are, are ancient and, and very much, a, they're ancient, but they're also very much a part of the, the cult of personality around the, the extremist fringes of these groups that can't see the humanity in one another. Is that right? Yeah. We have an ode from Aaron N. Yes, an ode to hot takes. In this time of of opinion, summer seasoned, summer fresh, we pick them to our palates. This is hard with the way this is spaced. We pick them to our palates taste for reasons often done in haste. Who should live and who should die? Yours is not to question why. We are alive. We have a say on how we live and in what way. From our wise of old to Elon X, we are at odds. Most of us are simple sods. Eight billion on a dot in space, we creatures called the human race. Thank you, Aaron N. <laughs> Dr. Seuss. We appreciate that hot take. Uh, over on Facebook, Holdfast posted a picture of the band in the studio with a glass of what appears to be whiskey resting on a UNFTR shirt. Holdfast, the drink slow. I love them. And Dan M said, Max, please explain Did how you yell what- your name like that? Max, Max, please explain how what Israel is doing in Gaza meets the definition of a, quote, war. I was struck by you consistently referring to it as a war in show notes. Please distinguish between war versus irregular war versus a crime and matter of law enforcement. Part of the point I'm trying to emphasize in this post is that we've normalized casually describing every conflict, even unsettled political debates as war. This has debased the very meaning of the word. The last time the United States Congress declared war was in World War II. In the strictest sense, our military engagements in Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan were not wars, which doesn't pass the smell test or help clear up what is meant by war. Or maybe we should just regard them as a continuation of World War II insofar as they were efforts to promote Wilsonian internationalism by spreading liberal democracy abroad. Yeah, shit still stinks no matter what it's called. I think there's a danger in casually describing the events of October 7th forward in Israel and the Gaza Strip as war insofar as that grants the full extent of Israel's actions a legitimacy they do not deserve and inflates Hamas's militants' status, threat, and capabilities. This brings us back. Uh, thank you, Danim. This brings us back into the debate over our actions after 9-11. And uh, if anybody wants to listen to a great episode of Newsbeat, by the way, the most recent one talks about the sort of the continuation and the fallout from 9-11 and how we've militarized the nation and the loss of civil liberties and all the things that come along with that and how that's sort of reared up again in this current conflict. Just from a definitional standpoint, the, the Palestinians have considered themselves in a state of war since uh, 1967. Well, actually since 1948. Israel, likewise, has considered itself in a state of war since that time period as well. So both sides of the conflict 
have never relinquished their declarations of war against the other. Then this gets into talking about the concept of nationalism and statehood. How can there be a war between two parties if one is a nation and the other is not recognized as such? One is just a territory with some inhabitants that happen to be, quote, militant. It's the same type of dialogue that we had after 9-11, which gave the broad use of uh, authorization of military force in a conflict where we were fighting that nebulous enemy of terror and that and we had to chase terror around the globe no matter where it reared its ugly head. That's what led to the, the, the mass killings of uh, half a million Iraqis, as an example. That was certainly asymmetrical after we toppled the Saddam Hussein's regime and then just continued to annihilate Iraqis and then radicalize a, a whole generation of Iraqi youth that is has more in common with people in Iran than anywhere else. So well done, George Bush. It is a war. I prefer to view the Palestinian territories as as a proper nation state, even though identifying these these territories as nation states is one of the inherent problems here. But I get what Dan is saying in that how can you call something a war between it with a completely asymmetrical force? So when we see like Israel has the conventional warfare capabilities and Hamas has militants on the ground that blend with civilians and uh, and carry out guerrilla warfare. Is that really a war? Well, I still think it's a war. And there, but I get that again. We're getting caught up in language here. Is it an atrocity and a genocide against a helpless and powerless people? In in some cases, yeah. But in other cases. Hamas is the militant wing of a political organization that is well-organized, extremely well-funded, and has carried out terror attacks against Israelis. You don't have to question the whys and the wherefores to it to recognize that it is an, it is an armed extremist militant wing of a political apparatus that is supported by a number of other nation-states and governments in the region. So it's a war, but it's always been a war. This particular conflict has risen to the level of certainly ethnic cleansing, maybe genocide. And uh, these are these are all things that happen during acts of war. I believe that the colonialists of the United States carried out a hundred to 200 year war on the indigenous people of uh, of the Americas. But I again, I get it. I totally get it. And I don't think that we're going to get the language 100% right, depending upon the lens that you view this with. It is asymmetrical. The outcome in Gaza is going to be very, very one-sided. We haven't even begun to discuss what comes next. What comes next could truly be war, the likes of which we probably haven't seen in a very long time. And I mean that. But for this, the people of Palestine have considered themselves in a state of war since 1948, as has Israel. So, uh, as a matter of fact, the declarations, Israel's declaration of war against Syria and Lebanon have never been lifted. Those are those are official declarations of war that still exist in the Knesset. So, I don't know. Anything else to add to that? <laughs> no, I'm <am> I <laughs> fully out of my depth here. But it's all language. 
And as we said in the beginning, I mean, I, I got to live by the sword and die by the sword here. Language does matter. So the I pen will... is mightier. It is. Well, actually, apparently not. I don't know. Have you tried stabbing anyone with a pen? <laughs> like uh, the the godfather that will not be acknowledged. The godfather. Oh, that no, that was glasses. He stabbed be. him with that. John Wick killed somebody with a pencil. But in the godfather, he killed uh, killed the not the bishop, but he killed the head of the Vatican with his own glasses. Pretty ugly. I realized I don't know what The Godfather is about. Join us next week when I throw 99 off a building. I'm serious. Come when on. I, when I went to the museum in California and I was like, what the fuck year is this? I had no idea what I was looking at. First off, some of the co- out of context, the costumes looked like they were from the 1800s. <laughs> so there's that. The few costumes I saw. What, what museum did you go the to? The Academy Museum. Oh. They had like, I sent you they pictures. They had a Godfather exhibit? Didn't I send you pictures? No. Yes, I did. Of the Godfather exhibit? I sent you the horse head. Oh, you just sent me you the horse head. You don't answer my yeah. texts anymore. I don't have to do this on mic, but. I'm Android. I'm Android, baby. Yeah, but you just don't answer me anymore. How's that? I'm calling you out. I'm very deep in this stuff. I know, but. Very deep. It's affecting me. You call my family and have it out with them, too. They're, they're all upset, I'll too. just talk to them. I don't need you. Okay. Go right to the source. That's better. Believe um, me. But yeah, I was like, I don't know what this movie's about. And I I thought I'd seen it, and I guess I haven't. <laughs> I just assumed I'd seen it as a kid, like yeah. with my dad. And I don't think I've seen it. It's a love story. Diane Keaton's Naked. Is that no. that one? What movie's that? Probably Annie Hall. No, No, she's naked in something. Oh, no, that's like a, with the... a joke about it on... Brooklyn Nine-Nine. My roommate was watching an old episode and I was, they were talking about I think it. that's the, the thing no. she did with Jack Nicholson. No, right? I'm pretty sure More she's... More recent. Hold on. I don't think she got naked when she was younger. I think that... Well, didn't she get naked in that movie with Jack Nicholson? I'm just Googling Diane Keaton naked. I'm going to see what happens. <laughs> okay. Mm, nope, this isn't good. Um, <laughs> what movie? Something's Gotta Give? Yeah. That's a more modern movie with Jack Nicholson, No. Because it was like a big deal and they wanted to show off older bodies. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Why'd I think she was naked in it? No, the only the only breast was Apollonius in two. Unfuckers know what I'm talking about. She's perfect. I really thought she was naked in it. Let's move over to Instagram, <laughs> shall we? Diane Keaton topless in looking for Mr. Goodbar. What's that? That sounds oh, like God. it's from the 30s. And this this is disgusting. <laughs> How can you say it's disgusting? No. Unlike Anne Heche's asshole, Diane's brown eye never got its own song. That's in the meta description. What? On othercrap.com, Diane Keaton, Topless, and more. I'm going to click it. Wait, Anne Anne Heche's asshole has a song? Must be some asshole. Oh, didn't she die? Yeah, she like had a weird something and like drove her car into a building. Okay, Diane Keaton, Topless in this movie. She did six nude scenes in this film. Poor Diane. I guess there weren't enough light bulbs to make it worth singing about. You'll note that the director must have realized that the old back door was exposed. Oh, God. Good Lord. Because Richard quickly got his hand down to cover it for the rest of the lengthy conversation. So. Dude, Richard Gere was always getting laid in movies. I'm clicking the Anne Heche thing. Oh, there's like a YouTube song about her butthole. Oh, that's because nice. Because she, it doesn't say where she shows her butthole, though. Incredible song. Thanks for introducing it to us. Can we move on, please, to Instagram? No. All right, over to Instagram. Desiree shared a great video. Can we put this somewhere? Sure, I'll link it in show notes. 
said it would be so cool to hear about this idea of ecological economics in a future UNFTR episode. After becoming an armchair expert in economics from listening to every UNFTR episode, taking one microeconomics class, it really feels like we're on the cusp of change, and I hope it's towards this. And shares the video that 99 will link in show notes. So ecological economics as a discipline, as a name discipline, is not something that I've referred to except that when we did our vegan episode and our Pentagon episode and modeling climate change and then sourced Piketty, this is something that Piketty has been talking about is the is the merger between socialist ideology and ecology. So this is something that is that is burgeoning. And as the video notes, it's been around for probably about 20 or 30 years. Desiree, what I'm doing right now is uh, as soon as I finish this series, I'm getting back into what I left off on to get to this series, which is Paracon, participatory economics, and then melding that with uh, Esther Duflo and then also Piketty. So I'm going to try to pull all those together. I will look at some of your sources the, that the person puts in this video as well to see if I can kind of come up with some sort of new analysis. This is my guess is we're going to find some of the ideas that uh, the Green New Deal was steeped in. There's also going to be a I'm guessing that if we spend time in other parts of the world next year, it is probably going to be heavily bent toward Latin America. So that at least this half of the global south is something that we're going to be exploring uh, for a few different reasons. So great, great post, Desiree. Looking forward to digging into it and uh, appreciate you. And now we can uh, leave off by recognizing two new members this week. Yeah, Anne Heche and Diane Keaton. Wow. And Anne's asshole. <laughs> but James R. became a member. woo And Strange Free World became a member, saying, just discovered us a few weeks ago, enjoying a lot so far. Strange Free World investing in us after only discovering us a couple weeks ago. I know. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, James R. and Strange Free World, thank you so much for investing in the show, helping us grow. Remember... It is our fall fund, friend, and Hellraiser period. So anything you can do to help support the growth of the show would be greatly appreciated on fuckers. And we'll see you sporadically over the next couple of weeks with a bunch of different drops. And uh, if I don't talk to you directly, because we probably won't get to a show notes next week is my guess. We'll punt that to the week after. Happy Colonizer's Day. Happy Colonizer's Day. Enjoy your dead bird. Yeah. Eat some mashed potatoes. You betcha. Uh, Trip to fan the fuck out of things. Yeah. What else do you eat at Thanksgiving? Cranberries. We have kugel. Okay. Love that kugel. I mean, that's not traditional. It's but not. It's not. But it's. I appreciate uh, the incorporation. Yeah. It's so good on my in-laws' side. But they they put they they do make two now. Raisins. Yeah, they put raisins in one of them, which is just blasphemous. That's where it's supposed to be, though. No, it's stupid. Just leave the raisins out of it. Mm. So. I hate Thanksgiving food except mashed potatoes. I never liked it. Sweet potatoes? I mean, I like sweet potatoes. I like, that's just a food, I guess. My in-laws also put uh, marshmallows on top of their mm. sweet potatoes. My mom makes the best sweet potato pie. I, I forgot about that. Sorry. The, um, excuse me. The what? The best. The best. Uh-huh. Okay, she, I have she, nothing to argue with. She I'm makes just, it vegan that's a bold too claim. Now. So, what? <sighs> you and your veganism. Sorry. Saving the world. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. See you on fuckers. Oh, bye. He's just in bed, and then he got up and started barking. Shh. What? I don't want to be vegan. What? I don't want to be a vegan dog.